All right, recording. Okay, great. Welcome to Yip Podcast. This is Barry. And this is Tammy. Yip. And today on the show, along with a bunch of awesome stuff, we are also going to be hearing an interview with Carol Tondava Henning that we got uh, last year when she was in town for her one woman belly dance show. Awesome. It wasn't called awesome, but, but it, it was, was awesome. <laughs> That's what I meant. Whatever. It's called Blood on the Veil, right? Yes. Blood on the Veil. Yes. <laughs> She's, <laughs> She's really cool. And we know her. Mm-hmm. Toads. <laughs> Toads talk to her and everything. <laughs> so let's get started. We're um, Facebook friends. <laughs> yeah. I hope that everyone out there thinks we're cooler now. <laughs> Dropping names like it's hot. <laughs> I couldn't help it. Sorry. All right. So moving on. So a lot's been going on the past couple of months. So Tammy, hit me with your best shot. <laughs> Tell me what's going on. Well, let's see. Personally, I've been doing yoga crazy style because I had a group on. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like 20 bucks for 10 classes. And usually, nice. yeah. And usually 10 classes is $120. That's more. Exactly. So, um... <laughs> I doubled up on classes, and so in December, I was doing Bikram, like, sometimes four days a week. <laughs> You're hardcore. I have a sickness. Um, Now I have to pay regular price for classes, so it's not as often, because <laughs> I'm poor. Um, <laughs> didn't know if you guys realized that or not. But besides that, anyway, <laughs> I've read some stuff online. Oh my gosh, you can read? I know. What? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, actually, uh, Princess Farhana tweeted this, and I follow her on Twitter. She does not follow me. I'm not hurt by this fast. <laughs> hey, girl, I'm a Tammy Yip. <laughs> Hit me up. We, we talk <laughs> about a lot of people that don't follow you on Twitter. You're just going to have to move on. I know you heart Princess Farhana. <laughs> I do. It's okay. Anyway, she wrote an article for the Gilded Serpent called Creating a Healthy Belly Dance Community. And she just goes into how creativity becomes contagious because it is it is encouraged to thrive and just different things that you can do to help grow your community. So I'm just going to read some of those items. Um, volunteer. Offering your services to your dance community, whether whatever they may be, will be helpful. So anything from assisting backstage to donating some time uh, to local dance festival. Consider offering to teach pro bono classes, um, even if it's just in the form of like an outreach program or that kind of stuff. Share your knowledge. Imparting information is a huge way to ensure your community's sustainability and continuing legacy. Raise your children, quotation marks, students well. Prepare, <laughs> I like that, that she calls them children. Prepare them for their their life as dancers as best you can mentor a student or students take the time to make sure everyone in your class understands and respects not just technique but also local dance history and as much universal history as you know about your particular dance form if you teach first your students thoroughly in professional etiquette be it on stage backstage or within the community itself that is so important if you don't have anything good to say don't say it at all oh <laughs> i know <laughs> Sharing ideas or constructive criticism is one thing. Sharing gossip and spreading rumors is a whole other animal. What if we just talk to each other, Tammy? I don't know. Maybe she shouldn't follow me on Twitter. And anyone who (laughs) listens to us. Yeah. 
Though it may be tempting to pass on a juicy tidbit, <laughs> post a catty <laughs> comment on a social media site, or stir up the pot with a little hearsay, please think twice about doing it. <laughs> oh, no. Um, give back to your community. Give generously of whatever you have to offer, even if it's just a compliment. What you give back can be anything, providing advice, a shoulder to cry on, or tidying up a dressing room without being asked at the end of the night. She also talks about it can be offering a scholarship at your dance school or making sure you show up to support events, even if it's a student show. You know, um, Alina does that for their um, tribal solstice. They That's do what? a scholarship. Oh, yeah. So I think that's really cool. And that's something she also brought up to help your community. So it's a really great article. Obviously, it's more in depth than what I covered here. Um, and it's going to be an ex, ex it's <laughs> excerpt. Thank you. From <laughs> her upcoming book, The Belly Dance Handbook. And it's going to be published in March of this year. Ooh. Speaking of books that Princess Farhana <laughs> reviewed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, in the November-December issue of Zagarite, uh, Princess Forhana did a review, a book review of a of a book. Go figure. Sounds <laughs> <That was> awkward. <laughs> Called Driving the Saudis, and this book is about a woman who was a chauffeur for a Saudi royal family, kind of like I guess all these adventures that happened while she was the chauffeur. Princess Farhana's review is insightful, not only for the book, but actually some of her own personal um, interactions with Saudi royalty, which I thought was fun. So I would check out her review in Zagreb magazine. I think some of the stuff she, she talks about, oh, I like this. There, There's a hairdresser who is a holy terror, spoiled teenage princesses who are addicted to In-N-Out Burger and hip hop hits, and even more spoiled adult princesses who routinely drop hundreds of thousands of dollars on designer duds in a single afternoon shopping spree on Rodeo Drive while their maids and chauffeurs patiently wait on the street, sleep deprived from being on call for 24 hour shifts, guzzling Red Bull. That was like one big sentence. <laughs> the woman who wrote this book, Jane Amelia Larson, she also did a one-woman show and won best solo show in the 2010 New York Fringe Festival. So oh. she's been around. So, if and you know what I mean, <laughs> driving people—that's what I think you mean. It sounds like a reality show, driving yeah. the Saudis. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, Princess Farhana wants it to be made into a feature film. <laughs> Which would be awesome. When is it coming out? Is it? Oh, the <laughs> no, book's out. She would, yeah, the book's out. She would, I got it. Because she already reviewed it. So, of course, she would have had to read it. Yes. Mm. It was published October 16th, 2012. Oh. So, uh, I would like to uh, pick up that book, too. Because it sounds intriguing. It sounds juicy. And my last little bit is just that I know Tribe is dying. <laughs> it's dun, so sad. Dun, dun. I, I haven't given up completely yet and I was on there last night and I was on the Fat Chance tribe. Oh really? Yes I was and they have now created their own Fat Chance forum and moved all of the threads from tribe to this forum so if you go to the Fat Chance website fcbd.com then you can just click under tribal star um Galactica, there's a Fat Chance Belly Dance Community Forum link, and you just click on that, and you can register there. And they will require you to use your real name and all that fun stuff because they don't want spam in this community. So, um, 
go there if you're still into... I, I guess, you know, if you want to learn what happened on Tribe. I just, I miss Tribe. I just miss it. I don't know. It yeah. made me sad, actually. <laughs> but I went ahead and just to give you guys a heads up, I went ahead to register and it does take a couple days because they... um require that they approve your registration before you can start using the forum so i don't know what's on there yet because i can't read it i have Lame. not been approved yet i'm mm. sure by the time this is posted i'll be approved sure but it you could will. take of course um, you will they did warn that it could take a couple days for approval so anyway so what's going on with you mary well uh i guess i should warn you to brace yourself thank <laughs> you <I'm braced>. <laughs> <laughs> i have been playing um magazine catch-up the last couple days I'm just behind in a bunch of stuff, so... It's all good. I know. You know what I mean. People get busy. So mm -hmm. I'm catching up on the magazines that I've been getting that I've been like, oh, I'll read that later. So first things first, let's talk about Fuse, baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. Nice. So Fuse is... Uh, I talked about it... I talked about ordering it on our last episode. And um, I will say this is a very pretty magazine. It is very pretty. It is all in full color. And not only is it in full color, the pages, like the backgrounds of all the pages are like in full color. It's all like this sort of, I don't know. It's like when you buy it's that. It's a color. It's a color. <laughs> Shut up. It's like when you buy that fancy printer paper <laughs> when you want something fancy behind your words. They've got it in this magazine. It's all fancy. Probably cost them a ton. The magazine itself is pretty slender. I'm used to getting um, Zagarit, which is like, yeah. you could beat someone to death with Zagarit. That's a lot of information. <laughs> and Fuse is, is a pretty slender magazine. That's what I like in a I will belly beat dance you to magazine. death with my belly dance facts. <laughs> um, the episode I'm holding, the episode, I keep saying the episode. The issue that I'm holding is uh, 26 pages long. Wow. That's not that many. And this other issue I'm holding is 34 pages long. Can I see one of them? Yes, you may see this one. Thank you. You're welcome. Ooh, people, it is pretty. <laughs> it's very pretty. So um, so what do I think about it? I, I have not made my final judgment yet, in case anyone's hinging any important decisions upon my, my decision, which you're not. <laughs> That's okay. But I, I haven't decided if I'll re-up when I'm done. I do like it so far. I've had some, I have uh, read some really good interviews, and I will say that my favorite part of the magazine, which I'm extremely fond of, is the Craft Creations article by Akasha Afsana. It's my favorite part of the magazine. I just got to it. <laughs> yeah, there's one that's like a patchwork dance bag, and she has the whole, like, how to make your pattern in there. It's so cute. I'm going to make one. And then this other issue, um, which is the one I'm holding, is the fall 2012. She talks about how to make um, upper armbands out of like broken pieces of leather or old belts that have kind of fallen apart. And she seems super cute. And I just love, love, love the craft creations part. So that's my favorite part. But um, there is a really good article in the... Which, which one do you, are you holding, Tammy? Are you holding the winter one? Summer. Summer. Okay. So... So in the most recent one, which is the fall 2012, there's this really awesome article about um, Jin, the band. Uh, the article is super interesting. My favorite part of it, I think, is when the interview is with um, Carmine. There's uh, My favorite part is when he's talking about the band playing for tribal dancers and improvising. And so I'm just quoting this directly. 
Uh, Jin is awesome at doing improvisation and making up songs on the spot. When we play for tribal dancers, sometimes they would give us requests. Often people would write us a note with a little story and we do get some random ones like play raindrops becomes a tsunami. I turn to the band and I'm like, okay, we're going to play that. And they would. Jin is great at doing that. It took us a lot of time to be able to do that and not be a mess. And then the um, interviewer, and the interview is by um, Nadia Gativa, um, says, hey, do you have any particular, particularly memorable requests? And Carmine says, you know, Anasma, she'd always give us the strangest request. One time I asked her, can you be a transformer who just learned to turn into a truck for the first time? And she did that. I thought, I'm going to preempt her giving us something because I guess she gives him some really wacky stuff. That sounds um, like it. Yeah. Anyway, that sounds funny. That's my favorite part of the Jen article. I got to tell you this, like the pictures are mm. incredible. This picture of Kalina Shakti. Who, the, oh yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, she's gorgeous. But, she is. Yeah. And what I also like, what I do also like is that the interviews are quite extensive and they're not brief. Like sometimes you'll read an article in a magazine and it turns into just this quick little bio and you don't really learn much about anything. But the the interviews that I read so far in Fuse seem to be quite extensive and they really go into a lot of different areas, which I do enjoy, which I do enjoy. Okay, there was a really good article in in the winter issue of Yala about stage presence, which I thought was really good. And there was a couple of beautiful pictures of Omaris in the article, which is nice. Yeah, she's, she's um, pretty as well. She's so pretty and she's so nice. Yeah. And do you see this cute polka dot dress she's in? That's adorable. Isn't that adorable? I love it. Suck out. So this article is by Megan Mayada Hasham. And it has a really, really, uh, really, really, it has a really, really lot. (laughs) (laughs) It has a lot of really good advice for stage presence and practicing stage presence and realizing that it's not just a, you're gifted with it or you're not. Like you you have to work at it. Yeah, Everybody can get better, you know, and just to practice and has a lot of really good tips. I'm not going to read everything to you because uh, it would buy the issue. Not your magazine pimp. Uh, well, uh, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, now we are going to go to... We're working our way towards my favorite article of all of these issues, of all these magazines, of all the world. So the last <laughs> magazine we're talking about is the September-October um, issue of Zagarit. And there are two things I want to touch up, touch on really quick. One is a quick article about cover-ups by Randy Ryder Ahrens. And it had some really good advice on how you can put together a quick cover-up that costs not much at all. You know, using a silky like kimono dress or finding oh. a big caftan and wearing that, you know, and if you can, if you know how to put in a zipper, you can do a quick um, cut down the center and put in a zipper for a caftan if you don't want to pull it over your hair, that kind of thing. Um and she said a lot of belly dancers that sew just grab a pattern for a bathrobe or a kimono and then pick their own fabric and make their cover up out of that. So oh, there's some clever ideas. Nice. I like it. And um, and I have to read this verbatim because it made me snicker <laughs> in a slightly malicious way. There, I said it. <clears throat> but we've all been to these shows with these people. You might be one of them, in which case we don't judge you. We love you. You listen to our podcast. But if you didn't, we're judging you. So, <laughs> but you wouldn't know it because you're not <laughs> listening. So I know. <laughs> okay, so she's talking about the importance of a cover up and how when you're not on stage, 
it you should be wearing one to number one to protect your garb but also yeah. to to keep that mystery yeah you know yeah. and um most of us have learned that at exactly. one time or another yeah so uh i'm just going to read one one uh, part of the paragraph and she's saying now i'm not saying don't go right after your show to greet your friends and family while you are still garbed and let them take pictures with you and your costume at this memorable occasion but to show up at the IHOP two hours later, dribbling boys and berry syrup all over your costume and making the other pa- patrons ogle your orbs over their eggs benedict. Well, that ventures outside the realm of classy and closer to the behavior of a three-year-old who won't shed her fairy princess tutu because she likes people's reactions. It is highly inappropriate and attention-seeking in a pitiable way. Mmm, rare. Oh, wow. I like it. <laughs> I just thought that was a clever turn of phrase. Yeah. I quite enjoyed that paragraph, actually. Will you cut it out and put it up on your wall or something? I might. Like, I might. Might <gasps> blow it up into a different font. You could uh, make it into like a cross stitch. I know. <laughs> now that I'm into cross stitch, I might make it into a cross stitch. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We are on to my favorite article out of all six issues of Belly Dance magazines that I've read in the last three days. And this one is by Talia Del Fuego. It is out of this same issue, the September-October issue of Zagary. I gotta say, they just stuff so much information into Zagary. They're yeah, just well, tons. Like you said, you could beat somebody up. You could. I mean, it's it's not a pretty magazine. All the pictures are in black and white. The only thing in cover in color is the cover of the magazine and some color full color ads at the beginning. Um, so it's not particularly pretty, but man, they shove a lot of information into this. Really good magazine. What I really found interesting is an article called Improving Troop Dynamics Through Understanding of the Doshas, or Please Check Your Personality at the Door by Talia Del Fuego. And it's talking about the doshas, which are, wait, wait for it. Crap, where did I put it? She says, um, one way to improve troop dynamics is an understanding of the Ayurvedic doshas. Ayurveda is an ancient system widely used in India and increasingly in the United States. It offers its own set of personality slash body types or doshas, which can be used as a guide to help you better understand yourself and others. So basically what the article is saying is there are three types, vata, pita, and kapha, or kapha, I'm not sure how you pronounce that. But they're saying that a personality type often aligns with a body type, which I thought was very interesting like anything else grain of salt exceptions to every rule etc yeah, etc et yeah, yeah. but you know even if you think it's total hooey there were a lot of things in here that just made me think of people in a different way like um there's one type um stocky larger body frame they're equated with someone who's a little more grounded a loyal friend um easygoing but a little stubborn when you dig in your heels out on an issue there's um pitta types which are you know, dramatic, and they're kind of natural soloists, but and they, um, but they, but but they also learn quickly and are really precise in their technique. And then the third type is Vata, who are really, really enthusiastic, but you know can sometimes have a short attention span. I'm paraphrasing and squashing this article into very small bits, so sorry about that. Um, if Talia Del Fuego was listening, <laughs> follow but, me on Twitter. No. <laughs> I am. <laughs> um, but what I thought was interesting is that she took, it's kind of like the Myers-Briggs test where if yeah. you figure out what makes people tick, you can be number one, more empathetic and you can control them better. Um, 
you know, <laughs> in a good way. In a so, good way. You know, for their own good. Exactly. <laughs> for my own good, certainly. But but I, I liked it because they were saying, look, this personality type, they might have a short attention span and they might just be a little flighty. They might talk a lot. But on the other hand, their short attention span and their energy can bring a lot of momentum and keep life in a troop. Yeah. You know, it, it'll keep you trying new things, you know, once you get bogged down. And then you have the other personalities that might, you know, cling a little too tightly to, we know this already. We look good in this. Let's just do this. They really provide great stability, but they're not the greatest on, you know, new ideas. So I, I just liked how she was talking about the positives and negatives of different types of personalities. And it does make you think about the people you dance with and really embracing, you know, everything they have to offer, how, how your positives can yeah. guide their negatives and how their positives can guide your negatives. And I really like that. So I think I'm going to have to look more into this dosha thing. I think it is really interesting. Are you going to come over to my house one day and be like, Tammy, I know that you're X, Y, and Z. You need to stop but- being such a pitta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pita. Maybe pita. I don't know. If anyone out there knows how to pronounce these, drop us a phone call or something. But it was super interesting. That's my super interesting magazine stuff. Nice. Oh, I also wanted to send out there into the interwebs. I just uh, found the most amazing artist. Her name is Sarah Haas. You can find her on Facebook. And we talked about her on our Facebook page, um, if you're curious. I was trying to find some good belly dance art. Because, I mean, I've seen a lot of belly dance art, but a lot of it doesn't appeal to me. Um, And, of course, art is subjective. You know, what you like is what you like. But I think... Uh, this woman's art is amazing and she, she does a lot of different stuff and I found her on DeviantArt and she's got like a folder of belly dance artwork a folder of yeah whatever I didn't look at the rest of it because I was mainly looking at the belly dance stuff but she's an amazing <laughs> artist and I bought one of her prints called Dancer with a Face and yes she does have one that's a dancer with no face in case you're wondering <laughs> that's why she's specified <laughs> but I, I really like her art it's got amazing movement like you can yeah. just just feel the movement. I think she's got one of Rachel Bryce. I think she's got one of Zoe. She's got a really great one called One Night in Bangkok that I think was based on watching Zoe dance. I might be wrong about that. I'll double check. But it, the print's not available on um, DeviantArt. But long story short, too late. Uh, if there are any of you out there or do you, or if you know of any artists, visual artists, who do work inspired by um, belly dance, I would love for you to pass their names along so that I can online stock them and see some of their work. You're so good at that. I know. It's a special skill. Don't be jealous. <laughs> <laughs> and other things. Christmas cards. We sent out some Christmas cards. I'm glad you guys got them. If you haven't gotten them yet, they're on the way. Don't complain. It's like, <laughs> you didn't tell me you wanted one until after Christmas. So you have to accept that I just... I Maybe just you things. could send them Valentine's Day cards instead. Oh, that would be romantic. <laughs> I might do that. Yeah. So if you haven't got your Christmas card yet, if you asked me for one after Christmas was already passed, you might be getting a Valentine's Day card. Or you might just be getting a late Christmas card. <laughs> or it might be like a 4th of July card. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. It won't be that long. Maybe. <laughs> um, so that was fun. I liked sending out Christmas cards. I bought ones with lots of glitter on them. In sad news, there are two sad things we actually have to talk about for a moment of solemnity. Number one, Tribe Original is no more. Yeah. Uh, I sad. Yeah, I went to Tribe Original last fall, and I was super excited because it's the first time I went. And it's at, it was at this beautiful, beautiful campground, and the weather was absolutely delicious. 
and the food was absolutely delicious. And um, I had a really nice time. And and now they're not doing another one. I think I brought it's a all curse. Your I know. Fault. <laughs> At least which that's I, how you made it. Sound. Which I feel bad about. Um, it was fun though. So I don't have anything really, you know, interesting to say about that. But I just wanted to say, I'm sorry that tribo is no more. Festivals come and festivals go. I suppose we'll have to keep our eye out for what Miss Ansa O'Leary puts together next. She's still got like 17 other irons in the fire. Yeah. Um, she is the hardest wor- working woman in show yes. business. Yes. So. <laughs> .com. <laughs> exactly. Um, the last thing that I have to talk about, really, our other sad thing is, since this is the first time we've recorded it in a while, this is the first time we've recorded since John Compton passed away. Yeah. And um, we just wanted to, to say a quick word about how totally lovely he was as a person, Um I mean, I didn't know him really well, but interviewing him was an absolute joy. And if you're not familiar with John Compton, we did interview him a little while ago at TribalCon a couple of years ago. And you can check out that interview. And it was just, he was a delightful person that was just full of life and he'll be missed. Well, before we do our first musical spotlight, uh, I do have to say I don't have an instrumental spotlight today. How are we supposed to learn anything, I'm Mary? Sorry. Well, the thing was, here's what it is. You know, the first instrumental spotlight was the oud, and it had this really awesome. fun backstory of the guy hanging from the tree and all this fun kind of urban myth stuff. And then I just can't find an instrument that has an interesting creation story like that. And I just feel sad about it. So I felt really instrumentally uninspired today. (laughs) Well, next day that you feel instrumentally inspired, just figure out what you want to do that day. And then when we record, you'll already have it done. I know. Being proactive is not a strong suit of mine, but maybe (laughs) it could no, I've been looking for one for a couple days, oh, actually. Okay. It wasn't just like, oh, crap, <laughs> we're going to record. I've been looking for one for a couple days, and I wanted to do a wind instrument because we've done a string and we've done a percussion, so I thought, let's visit the wind section. And I was like, well, I just like the Mizmar, maybe, and I just... <sighs> anyway. Instrument. Not that there's anything wrong with the Mizmar. There's nothing you wrong with the Mizmar. very depressing. There's nothing wrong with the Mizmar. <laughs> no, it's got a fun name. It's perfectly fine. I was just feeling a little instrumentally uninspired, so I'm gonna, I'll get my spark back, and we'll get back to that instrument spotlight because I quite enjoy it. I quite enjoy foisting educational moments on you guys out there. <laughs> yeah. So that's all. That's all I have to talk about. No, it's not. You have music to talk about, Mary. Maybe all not right. an instrument, but music. <laughs> all right. Don't try to get out of it. <laughs> And we're done. (laughs) Our first instrumental spotlight is of the band Ishtar. I had to use my mysterious voice. Yeah, Yeah. it's a pretty cool name. The cover of the CD that I have, the T is actually a scimitar. Oh, scary. Scimitar Ishtar. Maybe that's where it came from. I'm not sure. The album I have is called Belly Rock. I'd heard of Ishtar, but I didn't really know a lot about them until... Matt and Leanne hit me up on Facebook a couple weeks ago and we're like, hey, Leanne's playing with Ishtar tonight at one of our local restaurants. And I was like, what? <laughs> I didn't know they were local. And they're like, no, they're not. 
They're from Pittsburgh. But uh, it was some kind of story with someone's parents had a vacation home they just bought and they're visiting. And so a couple of them came down. So there were like three members of Ishtar plus some guest people playing drums and, and whatnot. And they just played at one of our local restaurants. And I actually didn't get to stay for most of the show because... I was told to be there at 7, and then they really didn't start playing until about 9, 10, and I was oh, meeting wow. some friends at 10, yeah. so I had to leave. But you I heard social calendar is I so heard full. two very thrilling songs, and I heard one song several times during their sound check. <laughs> it was a good song, which was good because we heard it several times. Um, one cool thing about, not Ishtar specifically, but one of the members of Ishtar is Melissa Murphy, who is the clarinet player in Ishtar, also runs a website called bellydancesheetmusic.com at which you can buy belly dance sheet music. Why is this amazing? Well, because a lot of songs are taught by rote, passed down from generation to generation. Yeah. And they're not written down into Western musical notation. Melissa Murphy did that. <laughs> She um she went there and did she, that. <laughs> she recorded a lot of these these pieces and then she she um put it all into notation and she notated it and then she transposed it into any instrument. So like whether you wow. play the, the F horn or you know a flute which is in C or any of these different E flat clarinets and E flat, right? Are you really asking? Oh, did you just uh, I was asking our listening audience. I don't know why okay. I was asking that. E flat clarinet, whatever you know, whatever key your instrument plays in, they, she has sheet music transposed, which is great because they didn't have that. So it was like, here, kind of learn this line. It goes na 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 na. Figure out a yeah. violin, go. So that is really cool. If you want to buy some sheet music, you can do that. Go to bellydancesheetmusic.com. She also has uh, full books on sale if you don't want to buy the scores individually. Anyway, so she is the clarinetist in Ishtar. Just a little little fun fact about that we are going to hear as always three songs and the first one is shashkin because i'm a sucker for an arrangement of shashkin <laughs> i love that song the second one is called miserlu which is another one that i've heard a couple different covers of it's pretty popular and this arrangement's really really nice it's super slow and languid yeah, and it is. like <laughs> viscous but in like a good way and then the third song we are going to hear is called Garun Garun, which I partially picked because I like the name, but I mostly picked because it's it really good. upbeat. It good. And I don't have very long hair. I have very short hair, but I wanted to do a bunch of flirty little hair tosses. You did a bunch of like shoulder shimmy, laybacky type things. Yes. I was getting my cabaret on. <laughs> For reals.
fave, Tammy? Um, the uh, what's the one that started with an M? <laughs> Mr. Lou. Mr. Lou. That one. I like oh, that that's one. That's a good one. It's juicy. Juicy, <laughs> delicious. Love it. Yummy. So, without further ado, we are going to um, let you guys listen to the interview with Carol Tondava Henning the um, creator of the one woman show blood on the veil which if it ever comes to your town go see it yeah seriously it's awesome very contact her and bring her to your town yeah that would be so cool really intelligent articulate woman i had a lovely time talking to her i talked to her at the home of matthew and leanne Drury, friends of the show from Yip Podcast, and I am here with the fabulous Carol Tondava Henning. Welcome to Yip Podcast. Yep. <laughs> she did it already. She didn't have to be prompted. She's made of magic and rainbow hugs, apparently. Yes, rainbow hugs. That's right. So uh, first of all, <laughs> to kick things off, um, a couple days ago, a couple days ago? Right. Yes. A couple days ago. Two days ago. <laughs> two days ago, two days which ago. is a couple. I saw your one-woman belly dance uh, journey-inspired show called Blood on the Veil. So first of all, um, give us a synopsis of Blood on the Veil, five words or less, and, and how you uh, named it. Just You don't have to limit yourself to five words. <laughs> I, was I was just kidding. The, word, the title is more than five words. A belly dancer's journey toward healing, transformation, and the divine feminine. That's ten words. That's okay. We'll give you, cut you some slack. <laughs> um, it tells the, the story of how I got into belly dance. Um, I had... Uh, major surgery in my abdomen and uh, basically had no core muscles for many months after that and as a result herniated three discs in my lower back so I was pretty much on like the worst sciatica ever I couldn't walk more than a few steps without like needing to stop and lean on something so uh, you know I did yoga and I did Pilates and it, it was helpful it was okay but I still had a lot of pain I had a lot of scar tissue inside also and um, and I got another cyst, and then that had to be removed. So this is like over a couple of years of trying to heal. And, you know, I even, uh, you know, I, I, I ultimately did start working out again, but I just was so out of touch with my body that, like, all these things just kept going wrong with it. Uh, and then I started belly dancing, and belly dancing gave me an awareness of my body that kind of let me know when things are going wrong and you know and and just generally uh, just something about the dance really really spoke to me creatively and personally um that it's a really pure expression of who i am um of all the dance forms that i've tried and i've tried a bunch you know i'm a tap and ballet kid from you know age five and on and you know i don't like tap and i i had less of a connection with ballet i did some modern um but all you know that's it's all hands and legs and you know whereas belly dancing is moving the core which was like wow this is you can dance this way you know it it was something that just blew my mind and i had a real affinity for it and it um it really it changed my life and it brought me back to those other art forms that i had uh, that I had tried earlier, you know, like, I mean, I did a lot of acting and I did a lot of directing and I, I liked it, but it didn't feed my soul. I think also my soul wasn't open enough to be fed mm-hmm. and belly dancing opened that. So I find those art forms now much more encouraging, even stand up comedy, which is the first thing that I did way back in 1989. Yes. <laughs> yes. I started my first day on stage as a stand-up comedian was February 19th, 1989. 
I was three. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to call BS because you're our guest. But, um... <laughs> All right. Three plus 16. Um, yeah. And, you know, stand up is not my favorite art form even now, but I certainly, you know, I have a better sense of what it is and how to deal with an audience and you know and that doesn't just come from having done it for a while it comes from having this openness in my mm -hmm. creativity and in my soul and and all that so I kind of just have ended up I, it's like I went did stand-up then theater then I had the injury um, I did kind of go back into acting class a little bit during that healing or trying to heal period and that did not work out too well and then I went to belly dance. Belly dance brought me back into comedy and theater. And then I went into improv. I actually did a little short form improv in the 90s. Back, so I do improv now also. And so all these things just sort of opened up again because of the belly dancing. So um, improv was a large part of the workshop you taught yesterday. Yes. Um, I don't know if your workshop had a name. Did your workshop have a name? It did. Creative expression and theatrical dance. That was going to be my first guess, actually. <laughs> um, so I really didn't even need to ask you that. Uh, but thanks for sharing. Uh, so I took your workshop, which was really, really lovely. When I was there, I told you that I usually try to take workshops that focus more on emotion because I have difficulty being that vulnerable when I'm dancing. Mm -hmm. And it was a great workshop and a great group of ladies, and I felt very comfortable. Ladies with... and men. Ladies and man. Yes. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. He's even in the room. How tacky. <laughs> and I was very comfortable with if you sort of as a mentor guide on this journey. Um, so would you like to tell us a little bit about this workshop? And I know you were talking about some other workshops that you were thinking about putting into um, action. So give yes. us a little brief rundown of what you've got going on there. So the workshop that we did yesterday is called mostly from my work in improv. Um, in improv, if you've not seen it, you have a team of people and someone steps forward and says to the audience, can I have a suggestion, please? And they'll say, Pizza! Pizza! And, you know, maybe you'll start spinning a pizza pie and then all of a sudden you're a guy working in a pizzeria and someone else will step forward because they'll recognize from your miming that's what you're doing and they'll say something like, Hey, yo, you're going to be done with that? We got a lot of customers waiting over here. You know, so now he has established that you are the lame-ass pizza guy who can't get the pies made in time and clearly it's a very popular store so then that creates a relationship and then you know what you want and then 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 you try to hone in on what you want from each other how long you've known each other or you know and and then create a scene based on that so a really w great way to get into that fast is to just choose a really strong emotion so like the set the, the 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 first person spinning the pie not a real strong emotion Second guy makes a really, or girl, makes a really strong emotional choice. I'm going to be mad at you. Mm -hmm. And then that just kickstarts the scene into, you know, a whole other Because otherwise you kind of, you can spend a lot of time just kind of figuring things out. Oh, it's nice weather, blah, blah, blah. You know, you need more such and such in the dough there, you know. Mm -hmm. And you don't, there's nothing for the audience to watch. If you make a strong emotional choice, all of a sudden you have some kind of drama, some kind of action. And it's not manufactured, you know, it's just... Mm -hmm you know, here's my emotional choice. Okay, let's go with it. And that will pull an emotional choice out of the other person because you can't be hit with a strong emotion without responding with a strong emotion. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole theory in um, improv of the four quadrants or the primary colors of emotion. Um, happy, sad, angry, fearful. 
so I thought about this a lot, and I'm, you know, kind of a student of the whole mystical Jungian thing, and I've read more self-help books that I just want to throw them all out the window. <laughs> but I've read them all. I've read, you know, I've read a lot of them. And so Marianne Williamson in her Course in Miracles uh, book, she talks a lot about, you know, the opposite of love is fear. And I thought about that. I was like, you know, that's actually really kind of right. You know, whereas in when you're happy slash in love or in a state of love and love makes you happy, you're at a just you're you're just beaming with emotion. You are loved by you're welcomed by the world, you know, and uh, you are welcoming the world. So it's just, you know, your portals to energy are just completely open and that makes you feel good and then you're happy. Right. And then the opposite of that is when everything is shut down and you are not welcomed and everything you offer is going to be like smacked down and you know things that are offered to you are threatening you know mm -hmm. so you're in that's puts you in a state of fear so you have complete openness versus complete closeness love versus fear and then the intermediary steps are sadness and anger where sadness i see it as closer to fear slash being closed down where the energy is still it's trying to dribble out but it's still coming out but it's you know it's a downward sense and then there's anger which is a much stronger anger is actively trying to get to happy slash love. It's like, okay, I see the obstacle and I'm, you know, got my feet, my feet rooted, you know, firmly on the ground and I'm going to bash my way into happy. And, you know, depending on how well that bashing goes, you'll either end up happy or you'll end up sad. So you're going to end up one place or the other, but that's kind of what anger does. And, you know, and I, I've, I've gone a lot of, there's a, another school of thought that is like, oh, let's just focus on happy, positive emotions, you mm -hmm. know? Um, which actually just, I think it does terrible, terrible things because you end up denying, you know, if you don't let these emotions do their thing when they come up, you just end up in a state of repression and you end up doing really awful things and then denying those awful things. So, you know, the people who are, who are very passive aggressive, mm -hmm. they don't have a good relationship with the darker emotions. Mm -hmm. If when those emotions come up, they're like, oh, I feel really sad, you know, whatever it is that's happened, I feel like, okay, go in a room, cry your face off. Because, um, as one of these spiritual books said, um, every emotion fully and freely expressed will lead you back to love. That they're all trying to get there. Even fear, you know. Because fear, you, you can't stay bottled up. It will, you know, fear will ultimately push you into anger or sadness. Usually anger, actually. Um, and it's trying to get you back into a state of being open and receiving and giving to the universe. Well, what I liked about your workshop was you're dealing with some, an emotion is a very tricky, tricky place to be. And a lot of dancers, I know I'm not the only one that doesn't feel super comfortable expressing herself very emotionally on stage. I know, I know I'm not alone out there. Well, you're within your workshop, which is about three hours long. Mm -hmm. You started with very simple improv games to kind of get us relaxed. It was like a crash course in improv where you took right. us from a very easy, no pressure place to a very intense place in a relatively short span of time. Right. And it was, it was very impressive because it's hard to get that vulnerable in front of people. And I, I just met most of the people that were there. So it was, it was impressive that that could happen in three hours. And then um, how you worked it back into being a belly dancer and having that spontaneity and that, you know, just in the moment-ness mm -hmm. with your dance um, was very interesting. And I don't want to talk about it more because I don't want to give it away. Well, I can say this without giving, mm -hmm. away the, without giving it away. Um, there are the I focused on team building exercises first so I want everyone to feel comfortable with each other and then when we first started going into the emotional stuff we weren't really doing the emotions we were doing parodies of the emotions and my idea for that was to just get your bodies and faces 
in just warmed up to the idea of expressing these emotions and then we started going into the deeper work where people were and there was some discomfort happening in the room which is why you know we had to kind of lift it up a bit at the end there but people you know have a hard time going even into happy emotions this whole idea of just you know let whatever is inside you just let it flow and let it do its work to um, allow rather than I'm gonna make an emotion you know you can't make an Mm -hmm. emotion all you can do is um, get the ball rolling and then let it let it go so that's what we did and you guys were fabulous I was really impressed with what everybody did I thought it was a very good group yeah it was enjoyable and scary yes (laughs) at the same time yes I was gonna ask you and you're of course under no uh, you don't have to do it if you don't want to but is there any short monologue section of your uh, Blood on the Veil that you would share with us? Uh, I do um, what we were just talking about is I have a section in the show where I talk about how Tamalin Dalal was the instructor who inspired me like the most in that first year. She was, you know, she kind of came in, you know, I mean, I had the people that I was working with here and that was wonderful and inspiring, but then sort of like this alien landed <laughs> in the shape of Talon Dalal and I was like oh my god and she just blew my mind in so many ways and I have a section of the show where I talk about having read one of her books and a passage of just her completely insane and brilliant and fabulous adventures uh, through Columbia she has a book they told me I couldn't read it it will blow your mind um, so I have a section of the show devoted to that um, yes, Tamlin, if you're listening, I talk about you. Uh, <laughs> and, and I refer to that, um, that said that what she embodied to me is, you know, this adventurousness and this courageousness and this, this absolute prerogative to just be herself under any circumstances and, you know, someone who really owned her power, though I'm sure that going through it, she didn't necessarily feel that way. You know, but hearing the story as a newbie dancer at the, you know, when I did was like, oh my God, that's, that's what I can be. (laughs) I like that, you know, does the dance do that for you or does it, you know, or does it just attract people who do that? I don't know, but I just had to find out. So I refer to that sense of strength and confidence and uh, that authentic feminine self as my inner Tamlin. So I refer to that throughout the show. All right, now your show, you are planning to take different places, I hope? I am. I would love to. So how can someone, what is the best way to get in touch with you and to bring you in to a different city? Uh, you can shoot me an email. You can call me up. I got a phone number on my uh, website if you go to bloodontheveil.com. Um, you can find me on Facebook. I'm the only Carol Tondava around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and um, you uh, forgot to tell us uh, where does the title Blood on the Veil come from? Ah, um, well, there's a section in the show. I think it's the, the, the show is broken down into six segments. And the fourth segment is called Dark Goddess. And it basically tells the very true story of how I did a gig at this nice little bar restaurant where the crowd that night just happened to be this wild gang of just insane underage kids and they just did not know how to respond to a belly dancer you know like at first they watched me for like a minute or two and then they just went completely bananas on me they were like they literally attacked me you know they they were yeah um i got pushed you know but it was sort of it was it was weird it was like appreciative pushing 
I always think of, you know, Courtney Love, she said that, um, you know, because she, she's like, I don't, say, I don't stage dive anymore because, you know, you dive out into the audience and they start grabbing your hair and they're grabbing, you know, I love, she's like, yeah, they ripped this, they ripped that. I was like, well, of course they did. They don't know how else to relate to you. They're a bunch of animals. And that insult, to say that, it's, to say that is an insult to animals. Mm -hmm. But this group was like that. They did not know how to show any respect or appreciation or to watch or to receive. They just had to be like, and they were like, they, in their minds, I'm sure that they sort of thought they were showing the appreciation just as they, you know, the mosh pit that yanks tufts of hair out of Courtney Love's head thinks that they're showing her appreciation. <laughs> but, you know, and I was wearing a really, I was expecting it to be a very civilized evening because it was a, more of a restaurant than a bar. At least that's how I was told the gig was. Um... I was afraid they were going to start ripping my $600 costume apart. <laughs> the true reason for the fear comes to exactly. the forefront. <laughs> and when I realized, and there was one girl, and I talk about this in the show, where she just kept going, can I have that? Whatever I had, my veil, my finger symbols. No, really, can I have those? <laughs> I know. I was like, what do you mean, can you have those? And then she was like, well, I'll give it back. I was like, yeah, sure. Uh, sure. <laughs> Um, and I happened to have my prop, thank God. I was going to bring my candle tray, but something told me to bring my sword instead. <laughs> so, oh man, I took that sword out and I really just beat the crap out of them. Uh, some of them I did actually physically, I wouldn't say injure, but I gave them a good spanking. <laughs> and I don't talk about this in the show, but there was one guy who uh, tried to grab my butt and I punched him in the stomach. <laughs> So, because I am a green belt in karate, and I know how to do that. Uh, and, and if he was just so shy, he was just, it was not a hard punch, but it was right. enough to make him mm -hmm. just be like, he just didn't expect it, mm -hmm. you know. But just sort of how to create a circle of space around myself. Mm -hmm. And um, using a variety of strong feminine energy to do that. <laughs> Mix in with a little masculine energy. So I have a segment of the show. So I originally wrote, right, shortly after that happened, I wrote that up as a, a, an essay. And the essay was called Blood on the Veil because I happened to be listening to Blood on the Tracks a lot at the time. And the two just seemed to go together. Blood on the Tracks, Blood on the Veil. There you go. So I had this essay just sort of percolating inside me or it was written, you know, and just kind of not doing anything. I, I think I sent it to someone and they posted it somewhere, but I don't even remember. I'm sure you could find it on the web somewhere that, I don't know. Anyway. So when I started doing the solo show, I took uh, the People's Improv Theater has a, uh, a series called Do It Yourself taught by a woman named Jen, Jen Nails. And it had always been in the back of my mind to do a solo show. And the first piece that I wrote was how I, you know, got into this. And that piece, that part is called Origin Story for you comic fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> because being a belly dancer is an awful lot like being a superhero, I think. <laughs> and so, uh, so I wrote Origin Story um, and... That, then I wrote Blood on the Veil, which then became Dark Goddess. And then I wrote the piece about Taiwan. So I had these, those three pieces. And when I put them together, uh, so in Jen's workshop, I just did the first part for the first eight-week thing. And then I took the second series, which is another eight weeks, and I wrote the next two. I presented Dark Goddess. And then uh, for the final thing in December, I had to put them all together, all three pieces. So then the show was a half an hour long, and I just took the title of that one segment. I made it the title of the whole show and added the explanation because 
without you know a belly dancer's journey towards transformation. Right? People have all kinds of interesting ideas about what blood on the veil means. You know, we're like, is it a puberty thing? <laughs> That's the first thing that popped into my mind when you said that. I was like, eh. I know. like, is it a? I know I've gotten. Is it a vampire thing? Is it a goth? That picture's really goth looking. Or uh, my other favorite one was, is it about Islamic honor killings? <laughs> And the person who said that is someone who's been, like, the most supportive of the show. Like, as soon as she saw it, she was like, oh, of course, this makes total sense. You know. <laughs> but but look at titles like The Sopranos. Uh -huh. You know, no one watched that in its first season because everyone thought it was about opera. You know? <laughs> and, and so there are a lot of things where, you know, they, there are unusual titles and people mm -hmm. don't know what the heck to make of it. But then when they see it, they're like, oh, of course, it makes total sense. Mm -hmm. So to me, it just... You know, it encapsulated, you know, blood having to do with injury and healing and life force and, you know, of course, the archetypal feminine blood hut idea. There's that. That's in there. I mean, it's not literally in there in the in the show, but it's, you know, yes, nothing about my puberty. Nothing about <laughs> puberty is in the show. She also doesn't force any audience interaction. I was, no. we were, I, uh, me and Tammy, have, you know, we, we do the local Orlando Fringe. We don't do it, but we go to the local Orlando Fringe when it's, when it's happening. And um, sometimes you go to a show and you think, I'm not gonna sit in the front row, you know, because whether whether it's a crazy topic or for whatever reason, you're kind of scared they might yank you up there and embarrass you or make you say something or I don't even know. So um, me and Tammy were sitting in the front row because we figured that probably wasn't the MO of your show. Yeah, yeah. But a couple of yeah. other uh, people moved from the front row to the second row because just in case. <laughs> but I just wanna let you guys know. <laughs> There is no forcible embarrassment or uh, you know forced audience interaction. You could sit in the front row. Yes, and, and at the end, at the end, I bring people up to dance. So you know, you can if you if you are inclined to come up on stage, that's when you can do it. Or you can dance in your chair or in front of your chair or on someone else's chairs. It's all about having fun. At the end of the show, we're all dancing. So, well, I wanted you to talk really quick about where you got your dance name from. Ah, Tandava. Okay, so Tandava, I adopted that in about 2006. The dancer name I had was toying with before that was Pamina, which is from the Magic Flute, and she's the heroine who sort of leads the hero through the dark maze of the underworld. So that was sort of the idea of. So I was still searching. I, and like I said, it didn't feel right to me, um, and I started. I was searching, and yeah, I do a fair amount of yoga, and I was reading through my friend's yoga site, and she. Uh, had this whole thing about Hindu and various deities and the god Shiva, uh, Lord Shiva. Um, he he is often um, shown in the pose with the one he's got you know a bunch of arms and the arms are holding various things and one leg is up kind of mm -hmm. like you know knee is raised. He in one that in that image he is dancing the Tandava, and the Tandava is the dance of creation, maintenance or preservation and destruction and recreation. So there was this whole theme, aside from the fact that it's just a cool ass sounding name, um, uh, this whole idea of rebirth just totally resonated with me. And I, and I, I kind of went back and forth. I talked to like a bunch of my Hindu friends and I said, I don't know, would this, be, uh, would this be offensive if I use this name? And I looked around and there wasn't anyone else using the name at that time, mm -hmm. uh, except there is a world music band in, Chicago, in uh, Canada that had the name. 
and there's an aeronautic and Dalmatian company somewhere. Wait, what? <laughs> Aeronautics and Dalmatians. Yeah, it's two companies, and they're both a husband and a wife. The husband's is aeronautics, so the woman, the wives is Dalmatians. Dalmatians. I was picturing dogs flying. <laughs> I know. That's unexpected. <laughs> and and I actually I called the guy up and I talked to him about his choice of that name. And yeah, I just do things. <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna call this guy up and I did. And we had this very nice conversation about why he had chosen the name Tandalba for his two companies, mm-hmm. his and his wife's company. And apparently they one of their dogs um, was just always destroying things. So they said so they were focused on the destruction aspect of the Tandaba. I was like, you know, there's a whole creation aspect in there too. Meh. Meh. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the name of the dog and they just thought it was cool. Um, but since then, there is a, a, although I am the first in belly dance who's had that name, it has become popular. The amazing Zoe Anwar has her troupe uh, Tandava in, um, and I think she also pronounces it Tandava, in Spain, in Madrid. And I think in Chicago, there's a tribal, a Tandava trial, a tribal dance. Um, I don't think, but I don't think there's any other single dancer that's using it. And so these days I kind of go by Carol Tandava or, you know, uh, you can call me what you like. Hey, you is fine. I'll answer to that. <laughs> keep it respectful or the inner Tamlin will come out. <laughs> well, I hope you'll keep us posted on um, future events. We would love to talk them up on the podcast. We really, really enjoyed your show. We thought it was extremely awesome. Thank you. Um, I think anybody would enjoy it, even if they were not a belly dancer. And read these sterling reviews because they're not lying to you. That's my hope is for non the non-dancer community to see this and be like, Oh, that's why this dance is so special, and to really understand and respect and appreciate it as an art form, and to and to develop a more critical eye about it, to know the difference between those, those of us who have really worked on technique and expression and creating something beautiful, as opposed to, you know, there are quite a few girls in, you know, a sequined bronze skirt, basically, shaking it up at hookah mm-hmm. bars, and that is hurting all of us. Because it brings the level down, it brings down the expectation. So I want to raise the expectation of what dance can be and should be and why we're doing it. And hopefully, maybe with more stuff like this, we can have another golden age of belly dance. But that would be nice. That would be nice. We can all actually get paid for our hard work. That would be great. <laughs> I might die from shock. <laughs> well, thank you again for being on your podcast. Would you mind giving us one more yip? Yep. nice yes, yes she's she super is. nice i hope she comes back and, and visits our area of the country and actually if you are in the san francisco area of the world uh carol tandava will be performing her show blood on the veil for one night only on friday april 5th at 8 p.m this is 2013 in case you're not sure what year this is um at the exit stage left theater um on 156 Eddy Street, San Francisco. It is only $20 for advanced tickets, 25 at the door, and it is worth every single penny. So if you would like to know where to buy those tickets, um, it's linked up from the blog as well. She's gonna have a couple workshops going on um, in conjunction with the performance. I just loved her show. She was it was awesome. amazing. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. She keeps, she got, my favorite part is when she talked about her, uh, oh, her inner um, Tamalyn Delal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My inner Tamalyn Delal. 
making her brave in scary situations. <laughs> so anyway, so Mary, do we have more music? Yes. Awesome. So we are going to uh, listen to three tracks off of the latest Beats Antique album, which I threatened to do last time. I talked about music in the last couple episodes. And um, I'd gone to their concert when they came through here a couple months ago. And that's when I got their latest CD. And <laughs> I don't think I talked about this. I stayed for hardly any of the concert. The concert started oh, no. at, um, <laughs> I think everyone was told to go there at 9. So I showed up at 9 and they had uh, two opening acts. I don't go to a lot of concerts, so I don't like... You're not a concert person. I'm not a concert person. I'm not. I just, I don't like people in my space. I get claustrophobic. This particular venue was very claustrophobic. It was very tiny. And everybody was smoking. Uh, and I'm asthmatic. <laughs> so I was like... Bad combo. So lame. And everybody was drinking. And this jerk kept stumbling by and spilling beer on me, which is not my idea of a good time. Um, <laughs> might be not. your idea of a good time, Tammy. <laughs> You and your beer tent. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well, I don't want people <laughs> spilling things on me. It's gross. Jeez. And I've got myself all cute. So it's like, you got beer in my cuteness. Irritating. <laughs> so um, the first opening act was first this uh, one woman awesomeness named Lynx. And I'd heard a song by her before, but I didn't realize that it was just like her. I thought it was like a whole band. Great voice. One of the songs we're going to hear is featuring her. And then after her, she was done at maybe... 10:15, and then a DJ came on to spin some hits forever. <laughs> and uh, when they finally packed him off and started setting up for Beats Antique, Beats Antique played their first song at 10 minutes to midnight. And I had a workshop the next morning, not a dance workshop. It's, it was for um, school, but um, workshop. A at workshop, eight. nonetheless. I had to be at this workshop at eight. In the morning, and they just did their first song at 11.50. So I already told my friends, look, I'm leaving at midnight. I have to get home. I have to take, like, three showers, and I have to get some <laughs> sleep before my workshop. And I'd like to breathe at some <laughs> point. I need to find my inhaler, take a couple hits off that, <laughs> take some more, take my asthma medication, be lame. Um, so I left. I heard, like, one and a half songs, and I was just like, I'm leaving. Well, and it was a sold-out show. The venue's kind of tiny, but I think... Part of that was just because they've never performed here before, mm -hmm. ever. Yeah. Um. So I'm sure for them it was probably a hard decision on where exactly. they should like go. So hopefully, hopefully they'll come back and they'll um, pick a different venue. Yeah. Because there are a lot of good venues downtown. That just that one's good for intimate performances. Yes. Yes. So. And there was a guy with a cutout of a pig on it. <laughs> covered in glitter like the pig was like two feet wide and he kept lifting me up and waving it around and if he said hi to you he was totally trashed and he'd say hi to you and then he'd fan you with the pig like he was like are you hot and he'd fan you with the pig so your hair and like people's beers like flying in your face it was interesting <laughs> anyway <laughs> that's besides the point the point is i bought their new album at their show <laughs> and although i didn't get to hear any of those songs at the show since i left uh early I did quite enjoy. The, I did quite enjoy the album quite a lot, actually. And the three songs that we are going to listen to are three of my faves. Because why would I play ones that I don't like? The first one is called "Crush," and this one's fun. It kind of sounds like a spastic Balkan song. What? Yeah. Oh yes. You nodded. 
This is an audio podcast. <laughs> yes, but you can see me. That's true. <laughs> the first one is called Crush. The second one is called Crooked Muse. And this is totally one of my favorite songs. It's featuring Lynx, who's got an amazing voice. This one and the third one, which is called Bloody Bones, I really like. It's got this kind of lilting, slightly drunken feel, which I really enjoy. <laughs> and um, Bloody Bones, which is, again, is the third song you're going to hear, kind of sounds like it could totally be on the soundtrack to Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. It has that vibe. It's great. There you go. I gotta say, I mean, Crooked Muse, I really like because I'm, I'm a huge fan of Lynx now, but I, um, for totally instrumental, I really like Bloody Bones. Yeah, it grew on me. It grew. I don't think it was my fave at first, but then when we were listening to it, I was like, hmm, I don't like this. Don't Could like totally this. be my fave. <laughs> Favorite. We just shortened that word. <laughs> we shortened a lot of words. <laughs> we are a texting generation. <laughs> And we like to sing. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that is music. Yeah. Awesome. I know. Totally. Awesome. Well, that wraps up this episode of Your Podcast. So this has been Tammy. And this has been Mary. Yep.
is feminine. I like tandava better. I like the tandava. Kamina sounds like something edible. Yes, it does. Um, although it's a, I mean, it's a great idea, and I, I love, guess I love the magic flute. <laughs> Friends of the show. I love saying friends of the show. <laughs> Can we have like nemesis of the show? Yeah. Who should be our nemesis of the show? I don't know. I guess if they're really truly like our, our nemesis at this point, maybe they're just starting. So they haven't like shared their evil ways with us. Like uh, come and confronted us about anything. Well, what would be the What would be? Okay. So it would have to be another podcaster. Um, if we had to create a podcaster who would be our evil nemesis, they'd have to be pretty much the antithesis of Yip Podcast. So they would have to be one, not tribal. They'd have to be folkloric or American Cab or something of that nature. Uh, what else? They'd, maybe they'd have to have blonde hair since both of us have brown hair. Maybe. Maybe they'd have to be really serious. Oh no! They have to be really serious. Very, they'd have to be uber educational. I think <laughs> they couldn't laugh. Not no, once. no, they no. may cry. <gasps> Frivolity. Yeah, maybe they'll just be a total basket case. <laughs> <laughs> if you are that person, let us know. <laughs> I know because we want to know who our nemesis is. Nemesis. <laughs> oh, I'd hope we, we don't have more than one. Jeez. Ooh. It's getting tense in here. <laughs>